Hello, this is Matt. Just wanted to remind you that the Robot World Cup is in full swing. You can check it out on our Instagram page, uh, which you can find by searching 50 Years of Shit Robots. Just a bit of housekeeping as well. Um, After recording this episode, I noticed that the sound of my mic is not great, so I wanted to apologise for that. Sorry. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that we have been wrestling with, with different microphone sounds. We think we've sorted it out, but we hadn't for this episode. So apologies for that. Hope it won't spoil your listening enjoyment. It's a cracker. So um, let's get on with it. I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. I'm really out of I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and sub Hello and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Um, today's episode is called The Elephant in the Room. And for the first time, we're not going to be looking at Hollywood robots. We're going to be looking at robots from Europe and Russia. Um, but why, Stephen Murray, is this episode called The Elephant in the Room? Because the origin of the word robot comes from a Czech play from 1920 called Rossum's Universal Robots by Carol Kapek. And we haven't even mentioned that yet. We've just... We've skirted around it, thinking that everyone blooming well knows exactly what's going on. Yep. Um, And so we are looking at this, and we're looking at a film that you have made me watch this week. (laughs) Made you watch. I created a clip with all the robot scenes in it, just for you. Yeah, that was good. It did make me think. I felt very guilty about not watching the whole whole film. Um, But there's there's a huge link between... Rossum's Universal Robots, the play, and Loss of Sensation, the film, which we're going to talk about in a sec. But let's just let's just talk about Rossum's Universal Robots. What is the plot? Okay, so the premise of the the play is the play begins in a factory that makes artificial people called roboti or robots, whom humans have created from a synthetic organic matter. So they're not machines, but they are deemed as robots. They're artificial. Mm-hmm. Later, they want autonomy and they want to have human rights or their equivalent, and they revolt and cause the extinction of the human race. Oh, <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> this I find oh. fascinating. It does sound really interesting, and it also, for me, links very closely to Blade Runner. The replicants in Blade Runner are also organic material. Yeah, and they also want to be to have rights, and they also want to be deemed as human. So yes, it's a really fascinating play, considering it was nineteen twenty. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of slightly surprised that the only thing that has survived in the public cultural consciousness is the word robot. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I agree with you. I'm surprised it's not something that we would know. Like it's that it's not like a metropolis. Was it ever made into a into a film? Was there no, a I, I don't Brooklyn? think so. It's th- oft quoted, uh, obviously, because it gave us the world word robot. Uh, there's been a radio play, uh, but no no movie. One of the things that I find really interesting about um, sort of reading about it because I haven't seen it and I've not seen any clips. 
I've basically just read the, the Wikipedia. Well, page. you do surprise me. <laughs> Done so much research for this episode, mm. but how it feels like a constant theme that we come across when we talk about robots in certainly throughout this podcast, but also like in my sort of general life as well. I'm thinking of of like people in my family who are who are terrified by technology and terrified by that that in some way they're going to do something wrong and and the technology will sort of consume them. And this feels like right from the the get-go, from the very first mention of the word robot, there is something to be frightened of. And that is that <laughs> the robots can think for themselves, decide that they want their own rights and cause the extinction of the human race. <laughs> well, this goes right back to Frankenstein. And if you want to go back even further, it goes back to Prometheus who paid for his uh, misdemeanours with humanity by being chained to a rock and having his liver pecked out every day by an eagle. Yeah, so he gave technology to people in a sense. He did. Because he gave them fire. He gave them fire. Yeah, that's and, really and He gave them autonomy. He gave them the ability to slowly but surely move away from the gods. Now, is the, does it say something? And I'm asking you to be like a psychologist here, I realise that. I'm okay. asking you to step outside of your of your area of expertise. But... Do you think that that is because we are frightened of technology, technology meaning, I suppose, like, you know, advancements, or is it because it's just an ancient story archetype and so it just keeps coming back? Well, that's a difficult one because when we're not terrified of technology, we use it every day. Yeah. And we've got access to the almost the entirety of the world's knowledge. Ooh. But it's a certain kind of technology. Nobody seems to be bothered about algorithms that, you know, dictate what you're going to see. This secretly sort of happens behind. But as soon as we're faced with something like uh, an autonomous robot, like, like the Boston Dynamics robots, it's really weird. As soon as we see one of their robots open a door and leave the building, <laughs> we become terrified. Yeah. I suppose it's because, in fairness, an algorithm doesn't look like a, a massive rabid dog. And yeah, no, those Boston, Boston Dynamics <laughs> robots do. <laughs> do so, you think uh, the Boston Dynamics dogs look like rabid dogs? <laughs> no. I love them. They're gorgeous. Spot, they spot is marvellous. But an algorithm is, is not... It's not sinister to look at, is it? Because it's sort of, well, you can't. It doesn't look like anything. I think the concept of the algorithm goes back to the the kind of the paranoid outings in movies in the seventies, where all of a sudden big business and pharma and all of those kind of companies came under the scrutiny of science fiction. Uh, but I, I don't know. We don't. We don't. We don't have a kind of a horror connection to algorithms, which we should do. I just want to briefly then talk about the word robot, which, as you say, makes its first appearance in this play. It's th it's the first time it's associated with an artificial being. So it says here that in Czech, robota means forced labour, and it's derived from the word rab, R-A-B, meaning slave. On the, on the uh, Rossum's Universal Robots Wikipedia page, it says that... The play introduced the word robot, which displaced older words such as automaton or android. Android, yeah. Languages around the world. So those words are older than than uh, the word robot. Android it starts in the 18th century. So the Oxford English Dictionary traces the earliest use as androids um, to Ephraim Chambers' 
1728 writing Cyclopedia in reference to an automaton that St. Albertus Magnus allegedly created. So it is used first in 1728. It says the, the word Android appears in US patents as early as 1863 in reference wow. to miniature human-like toy automatons. So the word automaton is the Latinization of an ancient Greek word meaning acting of one's own will. The word was first used by Homer... <laughs> I'm a college man. Not that one. <laughs> to describe <laughs> to describe an automatic door opening or automatic movement of wheeled tripods. Uh, that is a very old word then, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so we've got robot replacing the words automaton and android. What's pleasing about that from from a 50 years of shit robots point of view is that we've always said that our our use of the word robot incorporates things like cyborgs, androids, automatons, AI. It's a sort of an umbrella term, and it feels very much that that actually that is the case here as well, isn't it? Yes. The robots, the beings in Rossum's Universal Robots, have been created, constructed. They're not mechanical. No, but they are constructed by us. They, they used the word robot, didn't they? He, old old Capek did. Yes. It's not. It's not us. It's not us deciding that. He he decided to use it, um, and so here we are. We are where we are. Where we are. Where we are. Where we are. And the R U R that signifies Rossum's Universal Robots is also on uh, the chest plate of another robot from Loss of Sensation. Yes, Loss of Sensation, the film that you. Made me watch clips of this week. Uh, <laughs> um, it's from 1935. It's a Russian film. It is a Russian film. Uh, and the R-U-R on the robots this time stands for Ripple's Universal Robot because they're created by a man called Tom Ripple. Jim Ripple. Jim Ripple. Is it yeah. Jim Ripple? Jim Ripple. Well, oh. according to Wikipedia, it is. Well, thank, I God, I, thank God I watched the film, really. That's oh. all I can oh. say. <laughs> um, so, what is the plot? You'll have to. You will have to fill in the gaps for me. You, sh you, you made me a little edit, which just was to where all the robots were. So, the plot of uh, Loss of Sensation, made in 1935. You've got to understand that it was made uh, during Stanlist's USSR. Uh, the plot is that it's set in a in a, a capitalist country, and it's Jim not Ripple, set in Russia. No, it's not set in Russia. And Jim Ripple uh, visits a factory that's trying to come up with this new method of upping production, which. Uh, in one scene makes one man scream and fall to the floor and, and another man run out uh, going insane. It's like a production line, very much like uh, the Ford production line. Right. Uh, he goes to a nightclub and this lady comes in with these uh, puppets and he sees the puppets and he comes up with this idea that he can create a mechanical man to do the work and saving, uh, saving people from going insane. He does come up with a little robot called Micro, which he shows to his family and his his uh, his colleagues, comrades, and the kids love it, and the women are a bit suspicious of it because it, it runs over to a, a a sewing machine and sews something really quickly, and one of the workers deems this to be uh, not a very good idea because he realizes it could replace all the workers, so he hits the little robot on the head and smashes it. 
<laughs> so Jim Ripple goes off and soon gets embroiled with these uh, these vile capitalists with all the money. They want him to build lots of robots, and this is where he begins to feel a bit guilty about it because he realises which way it's going, and he starts to go a little bit mad. There is a marvellous scene where he's in the factory and he's surrounded by robots because there's not just one, there's quite a lot, and he starts playing his saxophone and all the robots start dancing. A description of these robots is they're about 10 foot tall, they're huge, and they're incredibly, they're, 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 they're the antithesis of the boxy robot. Uh, they're mad. They just look like someone in an Amazon warehouse has thrown loads of boxes together and made a, a, a 10-foot pile of boxes and then brought it to life. So he's going a bit loopy, realizing that what he's done is is terrible. He, they put the robots to work and they invite the uh, the workers to come and see and they realise something terrible is happening and so we need to stop this so they begin to revolt. And this is where the capitalists turn the robots into an army. Jim realises this. He runs after them with his saxophone. He breaks his saxophone. He can't control them. He falls over and one of them stands on him and it kills him. Is that the end? No. Back... In the house where Little Micro was created and destroyed, they rebuild him and they realise the mechanism to control Micro can now recontrol the robots and turn them around onto the capitalists. So literally, at the end of the film, there's a massive robot war. It's brilliant. <laughs> Is it a robocalypse? It's a robocalypse. <laughs> it's a propaganda film. Yeah, But there's a strange scene in the middle that tries to put across how decadent this capitalist society is, and it's set in a nightclub. Is it reminiscent of the nightclub scene in Metropolis? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Good point, which is another way of, of expressing decadence. So the bit that you sent me was the bit, first of all, of Micro, the little robot. Yeah. who And that's the first robot that is built by Ripple, right? Yeah, and and I've also you also sent me the the sort of like the upgrade that he's showing to the capitalists. So Jim Ripple makes this sort of very bold claim. Micro gets sort of introduced to this kind of small group of family and and worker mates. And first of all, he comes out of a cupboard. He does. I mean, that is classic nineteen thirties robot. Ah, oh, yes, isn't it? Yes. Um, and he's being controlled by a whistle. And then Jim Ripple makes this very bold claim. He says, and I'm quoting here, he says, this is Micron, a, a machine that is able to do almost everything. And then in order to demonstrate his ability to do almost everything, uh, he makes him bend over very, very slowly. <laughs> and walk, walk around the room very, very slowly. Um, and then at the point at which they're sort of, um, the, 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 his friends and, the, and colleagues, they're sort of, they're not impressed at this point. They basically call it a toy. And so he then like blows his whistle a couple of times and Micron then just start, starts going really fast, running, running, running in a fabulously bit of speeded up film. Um, and then, I mean, and again, I'm, it's just from the, the angle that he attacks the the sewing machine. I mean, it looks like he's trying to start a physical relationship with the sewing machine. <laughs> I know where you're going, and I'm not following you. 
You're rude, Matt. You're, you're really rude. Not. You're really not. I mean, I mean, Micro, yeah, you're right. Micro is, I mean, there's, there is something very cute about him, but yeah. he is spectacularly shit. He is. He looks like a wood burner. He He's does. got that grubby industrial look to it. Yeah, he does. And so he, he basically goes and he sews very quickly. Yeah, he does. Very, very quickly. Very quickly. But then he's very easily defeated by the angry worker who sort of clobbers him and, and he's it's destroyed. The, it's the chair again. These, <laughs> It's chairs. Robots can be brought down by chairs. If only this would happen in Terminator. You just wallop him with a chair and he'll fall to bits. <laughs> it's the natural enemy of the robot, the chair, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you've got this situation where... Uh, Ripple reveals Micro, Micro. Micro doesn't impress anybody until he starts working very quickly and sewing very quickly. Then the the Rupal drops. Yeah, and you've suddenly got all of these workers. One in particular who basically tells Ripple that he's a traitor, that he is going to put everybody um, out of work, and it's going to be the worst possible thing that happens. And this again, is a theme that seems to recur over and over again, not just in, in films, but also in, in life as well, isn't it? The idea that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and I can remember when there was a factory near where I lived in South Wales and they, um, their production lines were kind of getting increasingly more robot-orientated and there was a great fear. Certainly I remember when I was a kid of jobs being lost through uh, robots. And I've just had a little look on uh, that there, Google, at the 12 jobs that AI will replace in the next 20 years. Oh, wow. So um, if you're listening and you're one of the, <laughs> you're doing one of these professions, then it might be worth thinking about uh, doing something else. So 12 jobs that robots will replace in the future, customer service executives, so I think that's that's a customer service person who you phone up, and even now you you know you think that um, that a lot of the a lot of your initial interaction with mobile phone companies, you know, energy providers is chatbots, isn't it? Yeah, and I always ask them if they're a robot, and they always say no, don't they? Yeah, and they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> Robots can't lie. <laughs> they can. <laughs> uh, Okay, so customer service executives, that job's going to become um, done by AI. Bookkeeping and data entry, that's going to become uh, AI. Receptionists, uh, AI. Proofreading is going to be AI. Manufacturing and pharmaceutical work, that is going to be eventually AI. Retail services, AI. Courier services, most worrying of all, doctors. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of doctors receptionists being AI. I would wonder what that's going to sound like. <laughs> it's very cross AI. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it says we're already. This article says we're already already witnessing robot surgeons perform critical operations worldwide. I suppose that is fascinating, isn't it? Because you could have a situation where you could just get incredible surgery done very quickly and and remotely i suppose you you could be you could be in a village in a very sort of rural part of the world but you could have access to you know like life changing surgery yeah. i suppose hopefully um, not by micron the wood burning robots <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Also, soldiers are going to be replaced by AI. Oh, wow. Taxis and bus drivers, market research analysts and security guards. Those are the top 12 jobs that will be replaced in the coming years by AI, which is, of course, central to the plot of loss of sensation. This idea that robots are bad because they will end up mechanizing the world and everyone will be out of work. I mean, thankfully, podcasters, (laughs) we're safe. I'm going to put my academic hat on now and talk about Luddites. Go for it. Well, Luddites were uh, secret oath-based organizations that were all against the mechanization of the uh, textile industry. That's right. And, uh, they saw they saw what was coming, didn't they? They did. In the and 1800s. The, the rebellion lasted between 1811 and 1816. I didn't realize that. I actually thought it was like a one-off smashing of machines, but no, it went on for, for quite some time. Yeah. It's it's so funny, isn't it, this sort of contradiction that we have with our relationship with technology. You think that Luddites now is used as a term of of abuse, isn't it? If, yeah. you, if someone's a Luddite, then they're old-fashioned, stuck in the mud, um, you know, with their ideas that are in the past. With their analogue phone. With their analogue phone and their vinyl music. Apparently um, that's going to be switched off soon, the analogue system. What? I know. I dream of uh, just living in a purely analog world. Yeah, I know. I like the analog world. Yeah. It works. So, yeah, Luddite's good shout, actually. It is a yeah. constant thing, theme. But well, interestingly it? enough, what they were against was this punch card system, mm. which would later on become computing. A computer. Which would later on become robots. Speaking of robots, I'd like to discuss the design of. Um, Ripple's universal robot <laughs> in that he tries to always that he wants to impress the capitalists with because it is extraordinary. But I'm in a quandary, Matt, which is not a place you can go to air your quandaries and clean them up. The quandary is it is a shit robot, but it's what the director does with the robot that is really fascinating. I think they do a really good job. The, it's terrible, but yeah. what the director does and the way it's filmed and the way it's cut makes it quite intriguing. The robot looks... I mean, the, ro- the I was trying to think about how to describe the way the robot looks, this, this sort of like Mark II. Micro is dead, and now we've got this, this second uh, iteration of his robot. And essentially, it's like someone in a robot suit that then has someone in a robot suit standing <laughs> on top of so sitting on their shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, because the arms are halfway up. Yeah, that's what's so odd about it. Because obviously, that is as tall as the person inside the costume, isn't it? <laughs> and the robot is ten foot tall. The robot's ten foot tall. So you've got you've got like six foot of robot, and then an extra sort of like four foot on top of it. Yeah. And again, it's it's the aesthetic is very similar to robots we've seen. Yeah. Um, throughout our time in the 1930s in Hollywood. It's got sort of um, tubey arms and it's got it's got grippers and it's got... Um, it's got oh, another wood burner for a head. And it's made all the funnier as well because um, Jim Ripple is controlling the robot with his saxophone. He's, he's upgraded from a whistle to a saxophone. And so it's got... You've got this this lovely sound of this sort of whirring trundling 
but that is interspersed with little parps and uh, like wah, 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 like from <laughs> from the from the saxophone, which just adds to it, sort of comedy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not in a quandary, Matt, about about this. I'm not. I don't wish to air my quandaries or wash my quandaries. <laughs> For me, the, the, this is also a shit robot. Just it is. At least micro looks looks stable. This one, though, it's just like chuck a few ball bearings down on the floor, and it'll be skidding around all over the place, toppling <laughs> it over. It'll be even st- even easier to defeat, I think. A stool, even not even a chair, could bring this one down. Yet they go to war at the end of the film. They do, I, and when they're all trundling out, I, I love it. I think it looks great. Yeah, and I really love. I know that I've spent quite a lot of time mocking it, but I love the idea that it uses sound. You use sound to control it. So far yeah. in Hollywood, it's always been a remote control on the arm of the creator of the robots. And for it to be sound is just lovely. I think it's brilliant. At one point, he does talk about telepathically being able to connect to the robot and being able to see through the robot's eyes. Do you know why I know that? Why? Because I've watched the entire film twice. (laughs) (laughs) Matt. Oh, dear. (laughs) One thing that has just occurred to me, so we're at the end of the 1930s here in terms of movie robots and TV robots. The only successful robot in terms of one that, the the only robot that we've looked at that is not shit, i.e. the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz, has a great connection with the, the robot Maria in Metropolis. And that is that it's played by a person. Yes. That they're not trying to make a mechanical, um, special effects on film i mean we in fairness we called it in right in metropolis we said that it was that's the reason one of the big reasons why the metropolis robot is so good and and it was something that was constantly ignored by filmmakers throughout the rest of the 1930s yeah just substitute the robot with a human yeah maria in metropolis and the tin man are are both incredibly empathetic i think even though yeah. maria you, you don't root for really um and tin man you do they are they are i know it sounds stupid to say it but they are more human i suppose aren't they yeah they are and tin man sings songs and dances <laughs> you and, say and, the metropolis could be even better <laughs> if they had a few musical numbers in. she does dance she does. She does, right. she does the most incredible dance in that film. I've, I've fa- I'm fascinated by that dance. It's, it's and wicked. The tin, the tin Man dances as well, doesn't he? But maybe that is the lesson that we need to suggest moving forward: that dancing robots seem to be better than non-dancing robots. Yeah, give them a bit of movement. Let them throw some shapes. Good. Okay, 1930s done. Don't forget, our World Cup of Robots is still continuing. You can check it out on our social media channels. Uh, on Instagram, you can find us at 50 Years of Shit Robots, or on Twitter, we are at 50YOSR. That's at F I F T Y Y O S R. Keep voting for your favourites. There can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> 
marvelous re reference from a film that doesn't have any robots in it. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to keep voting for Robot World Cup, and we will see you next time on another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Until we meet again, goodbye. Goodbye. There can be only one. <laughs>